uh, utilized and uh, the public procurement bill is one very important instrument in that process. Um, so with us, uh, the TBO, I, I see this Nelia here and uh, the TBO uh, staff, but with uh, Nelia, you are, you are very much welcome. So thank you very much for availing yourselves. Um, we always say so much about the public procurement bill, uh, or rather the um, a procurement in general as to what we want to achieve uh, with it as, as, uh, as, as a country. So we'll allow a, 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 a PBO to make that briefing and uh, would like to critically look at it so that we can have inputs. Um, and I, I think it also help that the, that input is properly captured uh, from, 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 from the committee so that we can be able to interact with the department when it comes it, it comes to it. Yeah, I think with those short, uh, with those few words, um, TBO, who's taking us through the presentation today. Um, thank you, Chairperson. I will start the presentation. Yeah. And good um, morning. Sorry, Nelia, Chairperson, you've forgotten about the apologies. Oh, okay. <laughs> apologies. <laughs> My apologies about apologies. <laughs> yeah, we received apologies from Ms. Peters uh, and Ms. Ntlanguini. Uh, Mr. Mlenzana indicated that he will join the meeting a little bit late, and then uh, the content advisor is not well, so he's not going to join the meeting. That's it, Chairperson. Okay. Thank, 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 thank you very much. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll note those apologies. Sorry, um, Chairperson. I, Honourable, Honourable Sheikh, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Chair. I might have to juggle between here and health because there's something important taking place on health that I need to to address as well. Thank you, sir. Sorry for that. Perfect, Honourable uh, 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 Sheikh. There is there is an agenda here. I think we can proceed on the basis of this agenda, Honourable Members. Yes. Yes, members, we can, we can proceed on the business agenda. Agreed? Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, Dr. Nelia, please uh, uh, proceed. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, um, and good morning, Honorable Members. Um, uh, yes. Just, just, just hold, just hold on there before you speak. Uh, I know I congratulated you, but I then realized that it was at a different forum. Uh, 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 Nelia is now Dr. Nelia. Uh, congratulations on your achievement. Nelia. I'm here. No, uh, did you hear me? Um, I was I was locked out for a while. Okay, let 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 me let 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 me repeat. Uh, I said I've just realized that I congratulated you on your achievement. It was a different forum. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
So I just want to do it here at, 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 at school and say congratulations on your attainment of your PhD. Well, Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. You can then proceed. Yes, Darren will manage the presentation for us. Darren? Darren? Chairperson? We still don't have the presentation on the screen. Okay, yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Thank you, and again, good morning, honourable members. And um, basically, the purpose of this presentation is to pro provide members with information regarding the draft public procurement bill that has been developed to consolidate the numerous laws and supply chain instructions that inform public procurement and to better regulate the public procurement process. So the draft bill can be seen as a government's response to procurement irregularities and the associated high economic and social costs that have resulted from it. It further responds to public procurement regulatory framework failures, poor compliance that impacts service delivery in all three spheres of government, and it also creates strong oversight mechanisms. Members should just um, also note that the presentation is based on a short brief that we compiled from a desktop research and then, um, that we are not procurement or legal specialists. It was just a desktop exercise. I will take you through the first five slides, giving a bit of background in terms of preferential procurement. And then my colleagues, Sipatelo um, Semelani, will take you through some um, of the international procurement trends and Rashad Amra will continue with the remainder of the slides on the draft bill and will discuss some of the international concerns um, and he will also conclude. Next. So just to provide some background information members, preferential procurement policies can be used by governments to respond to the economic and social needs of a country to advance economic opportunities for previously disadvantaged persons and groups. In many instances, government is often the main or only customer of many suppliers of goods and services. Preferential procurement could also promote specific economic objectives, including expanding the local production base of the economy, supporting innovation and investment in the economy, improve the efficiency and competition of the economy, promote local technology and its commercial promote employment creation, support enterprises based in specific areas, and also promote the development of small, medium and micro enterprises specifically to develop SMMEs to become suppliers to government. Next. So over time, several procurement reforms were introduced by the National Treasury to ensure a system which is fair, equitable, transparent, competitive and cost effective. And these reforms include the introduction of a regulatory framework for supply chain management, broad-based black economic empowerment, verification agencies, a centralized supply database, an electronic tax clearance system, minimum thresholds for local content pr production, contract centralization of certain government services, the establishment of the Office of the Chief Procurement Officer, several amendments to the Provincial Procurement Policy Framework Act um, since 2000, and also a system where bids are not awarded on being compliant, especially 
and having the and lowest price. Sorry, I'll just repeat the last one. There was a bit of interference. A system where bids are not awarded on being compliant to specifications and having the lowest price, but on a prescribed point system where preference is given to historically disadvantaged citizens. Next. So um, the current public procurement process involves the advertisement of a tender, which is an invitation to submit an offer. The submission of a tender, which is an offer by the tenderer in accordance with the advertisement to tender. And then the awarding of a tender, which is the acceptance of the offer in accordance with the original advertisement. This whole process must comply with relevant le legislation and the um, regulations there too. However, members, according to the AG, over the past few years, compliance with supply chain processes was very weak and only about 40% of public sector entities fully complied with supply chain processes and actually failed to comply with local content requirements in procurement. Next. So further reforms are therefore required. Um, currently, there are 36 different government supply chain management systems, which are generally poorly integrated and non-automated. Public procurement has been a key vehicle for corruption and misallocation of state so resources and wasting of billions of brands and leaving many SOEs and governments financially stressed and unsustainable. Internal controls are not consistently applied, which contribute to the high levels of non-compliance as per AG reports. And current multifaceted requirements make it difficult for political representatives and officials to fully comply with all the regulations. Little action is also being taken to ensure compliance with the legislation that prohibits employees of departments from doing business with the state. There are some of the matters, or these are some of the matters that were recognized by the South African government, and therefore they also realized the need to better regulate the public procurement process. Sepitelu will take you through the uh, procurement trends in other countries. Sepitelu? Am I now able? Yes. Okay, um, thank you, Nilia, and Nilia, honorable members. Introduced by Petelo Simirani. And I'll be doing the slide, and the next slide draws the experience from uh, the international community, more particularly the OECD member countries, on the progress made in enhancing the integrity in the public procurement. <laughs> I, I came across a very interesting paper or a very interesting study, um, which was titled The Public Procurement as a Tool to Drive Innovation in South Africa. In that paper, they estimated that the size of the procurement is around the 22% of the GDP. And the recent annual procurement spend is in the region of 500 billion, which shows how important the procurement as a tool to drive the innovation, as well as the tool to drive the economy. So, <clears throat> They've categorized uh, um, the, 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 the procurement reforms that these countries have made in, in, in four categories. So the first one is uh, in terms of transparency for effectiveness. 
countries like Switzerland, um, they've amended the procurement laws um, in order to improve their procurement procedures. And it's provide the four main methods for procurement. The first one is an open procedure where all the interested bidders can submit their bidders. And the second one is with regard to the selective procedure where bidders can send the application to participate in bidding and then the contracting authority will then decide who can submit the, the, the bidding. And the third one is it's a negotiated procedure where the contracting authority would just approach the bidders or the potential bidders to say they, they want this kind of services. And the last one is invitation procedure, where also the contracting authority will uh, invite the three, they will determine the three uh, suppliers and then they will ask them to submit their bidding. Um, in terms of also trying to achieve transparency for effectiveness, countries like Chile, <coughs> They've also amended the laws, which uh, enhance the transparency in terms of awarding of the framework agreement. This means that even after the awarding of the, 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 the contract, they will also publish the information on the evaluation process and also the justification that are related to that. And uh, countries like Korea, they've um, also launched a smart bidding service. This sounding interesting system, it's um, a smartphone kind of a, a service um, which allows bidders to participate via this, their smartphone through a biometric security application. Um, it is used, uh, this system is also used to cap the illegal practices of um, maybe some people can borrow certificates of other companies and try to do a multi-building. So, in this case, this application kept all those illegal practices um, by using a fingerprint recognition e-bidding where each user can only bid once. And another key area of reform has been a review and the remedy system to enable a timely resolution of complaint. So like countries like um, France, they've amended the procurement laws that allow the possibility of lodging a claim before and after the signing of the contract. So this enables a judge to intervene, not only after the signing of the contract, but also before the signing of the contract while they're making the recourse suspensive. And also countries like Canada, they've introduced an alternative dispute resolution mechanism through the creation of a procurement ombudsman. This ombudsman, um, what they do is to promote fairness, promote openness, transparency in government procurement by reviewing the complaints, providing the possibility of an alternative dispute resolution process. Also, the reform that they have invested in was also in terms of protecting the potential bidders from an unfair competition. Um, a number of countries like France, Finland, uh, Sweden, and Poland, they've introduced what they termed as a standstill period. This standstill period allows the contracting authority to wait for at least 10 days after deciding and communicating who has won the public contract. So this 10 days or a cool-off period, it gives other bidders who are not successful 
time to, to examine the decision that was uh, taken to award whoever was successful, and also to, to decide whether to initiate a review procedure. And if they do so within this standstill period, which a 10 days period will then result in an automatic suspension of the procurement process until the review board takes a decision. They've also, in order to protect the potential bidders in an unfair competition, they've also introduced a more stringent rule against the illegal direct award of the public contract. So these four countries' national courts are able to render contracts ineffective. They have been illegally awarded without transparency and prior competitive tendering unless that is specifically permitted under the directive. Also, in terms of uh, restructuring, consolidation, rationalization of the procurement, at the United Kingdom countries, they've also made some investment in terms of restructuring public procurement organization. And one single team for government procurement is created in order to contract for a widely used goods and services for a whole of government at a one single price. And also countries like Belgium, they've made an investment in strengthening the capabilities of procurement officials where a public procurement workstation was uh, established under the purchasing policy and advised to support officials in managing the contract in an efficient manner and align with the legal requirements. These are just the international um, experience or the trends in other countries, what they have done in order to improve their procurement laws. I will hand over to my colleague Rashad, who will do the remainder of the slide. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Am I audible? Okay, I'm, I'm going to proceed uh, now. Thank you, Sipatello. Yes, you are. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Um, honorable members, um, with the foregrounding and, and backgrounding provided by Nilia and Sipatello, I'm just going to take you through uh, the, the salient features of the draft uh, public procurement bill uh, and discuss um, or present some of the, the key limitations and concerns surrounding it. Uh, and obviously the proviso, as Nilia mentioned, is that we're not legal experts in the parliamentary budget office, nor are we procurement experts, uh, but we have applied our minds. And, and um, so with that proviso, let us uh, continue. Um, the draft public procurement bill has several stated objectives. Uh, these are contained in um, uh, chapter one, and these include uh, to ensure that the state utilizes and leverages uh, procurement to, to promote the state's policy objectives. And, and uh, there are several policy objectives contained in there. Uh, and then to also ensure that uh, procurement is developmental, uh, that it ensures value for money, uh, that it supports economic activity, and as Sibatilla no noted, innovation and investment. Uh, these are stated again, as I mentioned in chapter one, uh, and concurrently, it also needs to achieve efficiency and maximize competition. Uh, in addition to that, the draft public procurement bill also tries to or, or seeks to incorporate in the procurement system categories of preference. Uh, and obviously, given our, our history of, of, um, of dislocation and um, uh, and separate development and, and unfair, unfair development, uh, it seeks to protect and advance people who are previously disadvantaged uh, and at, at disadvantaged by unfair discrimination. So this is like the, uh, the, the, um, the, the um, obje objects of the bill that are contained in chapter one. Uh, to realize these stated objects, 
the draft public procurement bill seeks to introduce a single regulatory framework uh, for local, provincial, and national governments, as well as state-owned enterprises. Uh, this, honorable members, is quite important, and as has been mentioned and noted, uh, that we have a bit of, a, of um, overlap uh, in current legislation governing procurement in this country. As uh, Nilia noted, there are 36 different SCM systems, uh, and there's generally a high degree, and this is generally appreciated, a high degree of fragmented uh, approaches and resulting in unnecessary confusion. And also, it has been costly to the state uh, in several respects. Uh, the bill therefore amends and repeals part or whole of uh, more than a dozen pieces of legislation uh, to this effect to try and bring it all together under one integrated uh, piece of legislation. Uh, this includes the Public Finance Management Act, the Local Government Municipal Financial Management Act, uh, the Preferential Procurement Policy Framework Act, uh, amongst others. Uh, these are the key ones that are partially amended uh, or um, repealed in part or completely for the sake of, of integration and, and simplicity. Uh, this provision allows for, importantly, allows for legal certainty uh, in application across all government departments, uh, constitutional departments, and also Schedule Two and Schedule Three uh, institutions. So that includes major public entities like ESCOM, uh, provincial level entities, and national business entities, uh, as well as uh, other PFMA institutions. So this is quite important as a development, uh, the simple uh, attempt to integrate uh, across all spheres of government. So this consolidation and standardization uh, will certainly, uh, if applied properly, allow for promoting good governance and procurement, which um, is noted as, as, uh, as quite urgent and necessary uh, for our country. Um, the draft bill proposes the creation of institutions necessary to ensure the integrity of the procurement system uh, and to address potential violations. Uh, we know that potential violations and actual violations uh, are a concern. Uh, so the draft bill provides for the creation of the public procurement regulator. Uh, so it essentially changes the institutional framework to ele elevate what's already the office of the chief procurement officer, which is currently housed uh, in the National Treasury. Uh, so it elevates it from a department, uh, departmental functionary to an independent regulator. Um, and this is, this is again, a, a positive development. Uh, and the idea is for it to address any material breach uh, by an institution and to also reconsider decisions, obviously procurement decisions uh, made by, uh, by um, institutions. This said though, uh, although it's a, a positive development, there is, uh, and it needs to be noted, a lack of clarity uh, at this stage in the draft bill on the role, the structure and the independence uh, of the regulator. Uh, so I think it's important to note that over there uh, and others have also noted this, um, is, is this absence of, of clarity on the role, its structure and independence. Uh, it should also be noted uh, that if the regulator is housed within the executive, within a national department, in this particular case, uh, the National Treasury, uh, this may potentially have implications um, uh, for the independence of the regulator. I mean, for a regulator to be effective, best practice is, it for, is for it to be uh, independent of, uh, of, um, of those it is actually regulating and, and concerning, uh, and for it to perform its, its functions without uh, fear. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the bill also, quite importantly, establishes the public procurement tribunal. Uh, as Sipatilla noted in the previous section, that you know other countries have created similar uh, platforms to review 
decisions uh, made by awarding authorities, so that's different government departments or SOEs. Uh, and so the idea of review uh, um, is quite important um, uh, going forward. So the Public Procurement Tribunal is an entity that this, this bill seeks to establish. Uh, and this allows for a reconsideration uh, of a decision by a pro procuring institution, uh, after which the respective treasury or regulator may be approached for reconsideration. And only thereafter a dissatisfied bidder may invoke the review process. So why I'm highlighting this last aspect of here on the, on the process for, for review is that although the, the provision for a public procurement tribunal and the provision for review is necessary and welcome in line with best practice and to ensure uh, you know, good accountability over uh, procurement and, and probity, uh, this seems like a bit of a lengthy, cumbersome and potentially expensive uh, process um, to give effect to, to uh, oversight over, over procurement. Uh, so there is potential over here for, for a more efficient process and a, a process that doesn't uh, prohibit uh, uh, review or make review onerous on, on dissatisfied bidders. And I think this is quite important um, given South Africa's experience for the past uh, 25 years. Uh, next slide, please. In terms of uh, preferential procurement um, regulation, uh, the bill is a bit silent on uh, on the system as tenders are currently awarded on the preferential system that is adjusted depending on the value of the tender. So I think this is also something to 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 consider uh, the silence on on uh, the bill with respect to the preferential system, uh, given that it repeals um, some of the previous legislation. Uh, so although this is, uh, seems to be a bit of an ambiguity, perhaps this um, uh, or at least presumably uh, the clarification will come through, uh, through the framework presented by the Minister of Finance. Uh, so the bill allows the Minister of Finance to provide a framework uh, for um, including uh, preferential procurement, and that needs to be informed by current policies uh, and the criteria uh, of government concerning uh, redressing historical inequalities, but also trying to maximize employment creation, um, industrialization, localization, and a range of other uh, policy objectives of the state. So, uh, presumably, this is going to come through from the Minister of Finance, uh, which the bill empowers to provide a framework uh, for procurement. Uh, another positive development has been the scope for cancelling tenders. Uh, this is, has been broadened to include factors uh, which are intuitive um, if, you in, if you seek uh, uh, probity in your procurement, uh, factors such as corruption and, and anti-competitive behaviour. Uh, so this is quite an important provision contained um, in the draft bill. Uh, and further to that uh, um, is the bill requires all PPPs, so that's public-private partnerships entered to between the state and private players, uh, uh, to be approved by the relevant treasury, either the national treasury for national departments or the provincial treasury for provincial level to, uh, provincial uh, countries. I now want to move on to some salient limitations and concerns. Uh, and as noted, um, we're just bringing a few a few key concerns. There's a range of concerns submitted by uh, NGOs, civil society, and other interest groups, uh, which are quite extensive and, and are, are quite legal uh, in terms of, of uh, the expertise required. Uh, but there are a few that we're going to be presenting on um, right now. Um, the Public Procurement Bill exhibits several limitations. Um, and unfortunately, these limitations uh, are likely to prevent the necessary realization uh, of the principles envisaged in section 
217 of our constitution, uh, specifically the idea of fairness or the values of fairness, equitability, transparency, competitiveness, and cost-effectiveness uh, in procurement, in state procurement. Um, here among these limitations is the absence of transparency uh, intertwined in the provisions in the bill. So whilst the bill notes uh, in its preamble, uh, the section 217 of our constitution emphasizing uh, the value of uh, transparency, uh, transparency is, is notably absent uh, from the bill's object. So if you look at chapter one, there's no, no, there's no mention of transparency. Uh, this is quite concerning, uh, given that transparency is fundamental uh, to oversight and, and, and efficient procurement and the reduction and elimination uh, of, un, uh, of corruption, really. Um, so this is something to note uh, at the outset, um, is the overall absence of a lack of transparency <clears throat> uh, in transparency being, being intertwined uh, in the provisions in the bill. So whilst the, the overall intent and provisions of the bill indicate a commitment to a procurement process that is transparent, uh, in effect and operation, uh, they would unfortunately result in, they would, not they would not result in improved transparency and accountability. Uh, and I'm going to come to two specific cases that, that make this point. Uh, one is the bill requires confidentiality of bidder's information. Uh, and secondly, the bill makes uh, transparency discretionary to the regulator's judgment. Uh, so these are, are broadly speaking quite inconsistent uh, with improving accountability uh, and ensuring you know, uh, uh, a system that is, that is um, free from malfeasance and corruption. Uh, so while certain bid information is sensitive, bidder's information is sensitive, uh, and I think that's clearly the case, such as blueprints or su supplier-specific proprietary information, a general inclu inclusion uh, and, and, and aversion towards transparency that is actually legislated uh, favors secrecy and corruption as opposed to transparency and accountability. Uh, furthermore, there's also no definition provided in the bill for what constitutes confidential information. So if there's no specific definition, this is subject to uh, interpretation and subject to abuse uh, and subject to some sort of arbitrary uh, decisions being made uh, that could be used to withhold information from the public. Uh, there's also no disclosing of, of bidder's information and this can result in uh, the results of a contract, uh, the evaluation report and the full contract uh, not being disclosed. And this, again, causes opaqueness and secrecy instead of what's preferred, which is transparency, as international uh, best practice uh, has shown. Uh, further to this, and, and, and you know, in the provision for appeal, uh, dissatisfied bidders and the public who, who want to you know, look further and dwell into or delve into why certain decisions were made or certain tenders were, uh, were awarded to specific consortiums or individuals, uh, how would they get access to this information if the default is not being provided? Uh, they could use the Promotion of Access to Information Act, also known as PIA, uh, but this would, may take up to 30 days for them to get this information. And if you have to wait 30 days to get the information, it's impossible for you then to uh, appeal uh, a decision because the decision needs to be lodged within 10 days uh, as per the bill's provision. So this inconsistency over here uh, arising uh, from, uh, from information not being transparent and, and provided by default rather than, uh, rather people have to go and request it. Uh, so proactive disclosure would be useful uh, in this uh, respect to allow for, uh, you know, dissatisfied bidders and the public to actually ensure greater scrutiny 
um, over the, the use and allocation of state resources. Um, further to this, um, non-sensitive bid information, such as a company's name, directors, shareholders, uh, the bid price, and, and a meaningful uh, disclosure of, of the benefactors of certain uh, companies, uh, as we know, you know, the shell companies and holders may have two or three degrees uh, of separation. Uh, this sort of in information could be made publicly available at all stage of the bid process uh, to allow for greater accountability and transparency. Uh, and as you know, international experience has shown, this does assist uh, in, in several respects. Uh, so moving on from transparency, another salient, next slide please, another salient um, limitation um, of the, the draft bill uh, concerns persons barred from doing business with the state. So this is an important um, provision in the bill. It's not a new provision. Current legislation allows for that. Uh, and this is, I mean, at the, at the surface, quite an important uh, continued provision. Um, the bill importantly excludes certain individuals and entities from the procurement process. Uh, however, for this to be effective, uh, it requires, or it's, it's contingent and honest declaration on the part of potential bidders uh, and a knowledge on the part of the, of the bid evaluation and adjudication committees of who the effective owners and benefactors of the specific uh, bidding company or entity are, uh, are tr truly are, as opposed to what is just stated. Um, uh, so for meaningful uh, effect with the intents of this provision, and, and, and we know that this, these intents are, are necessarily useful and welcome, uh, a transparent and, and completely publicly available record of bidding companies, their directors, their shareholders, their parent or holding companies, and respective directors and shareholders is required. Uh, else this, this provision doesn't necessarily uh, uh, achieve uh, what it seeks to achieve. It's, it's more of a nominal provision rather than a substantive provision. Uh, and so, yeah, this type of provision uh, would certainly be, be uh, aided uh, by publicly available, comprehensive, and consistently updated uh, list of persons and entities debarred from doing business with the state. Uh, why it's important to note comprehensive and consistently updated list of persons, because uh, right now there are lists of, of debarred uh, entities or individuals, uh, but these are quite um, disparate and not consistently updated, resulting in them being uh, at best ineffectual. Uh, and so, again, proactive disclosure would really give uh, meaningful uh, support to the intents uh, of this bill. Uh, further, and, and this is a bit of an uncertainty in the bill, um, but the bill appears not to allow the public to report a contract, uh, a problematic contract awarded um, to the regulator. And, 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 this, is, and this is the interpretation uh, because the bill states that only an institution can report. And so some clarity is, is required in that respect. Um, next slide, please. Uh, my colleague Sibitella noted, uh, you know, some of the, the interesting developments that have taken place on, on e-procurement. Uh, I mean, the Korean one uh, sounded uh, quite interesting as well, and, and perhaps even uh, foolproof. Uh, and so, you know, for, for procurement systems to be effective, uh, one needs a high fidelity procurement system. You know, that can't be tampered with. Uh, um, and, and unfortunately, the reality is. Uh, Electronic systems, uh, even if they may uh, they may present a bit of a challenge in, in terms of rolling out, are far more effective uh, at preventing uh, uh, preventing tampering with these uh, tampering and uh, preventing doctoring of of contracts, uh, and even allow for better investigation and detection after the fact, and also allow for greater transparency 
uh, along the process from the from the point of of RFQs being uh, drafted to the point of uh, contracts being awarded uh, at the end of of, of the procuring um, uh, project cycle, uh, so to speak. And so, uh, what is rather surprising, given that South Africa has embarked on e-procurement several years ago and basic infrastructure uh, exists uh, across uh, the state, uh, is the allowance uh, in the draft bill for manual procurement systems. And this is rather odd, uh, given the way the world is working and given the strong push um, for e-procurement that's not new in South African government. And so it's it's ubiquitous, it's low cost, and it has integrity, uh, that being electronic uh, procurement systems. Uh, and therefore, for the fidelity and the transparency of procurement, uh, uh, electronic systems are both technically fe feasible, economically uh, possibly quite feasible, but also, and most importantly, gives meaningful effects to the intents of the bill. And, and this is certainly an area uh, that is surprising, uh, this allowance for, for manual, um, uh, manual systems. Um, <clears throat> uh, final slide, please. Sorry, I don't know why our summary slide doesn't come up first, but uh, allow me to conclude uh, before opening up for discussion, honorable chairperson and members. Uh, so the overall objective of the draft public procurement bill is to simplify the process, to harmonize what is existing, uh, given the disparate nature and, and, and at times confusing nature of existing legislation, uh, and importantly, to maximize value for money and to reduce and or even eliminate uh, corruption from public procurement. Um, the bill attempts to unify the, the, the current uh, legislation, uh, providing a, sing, a, single, a single regulatory framework uh, across all uh, spheres and levels of government and including public entities. Uh, however, it has certain limitations. Uh, we've raised some of those, uh, specifically around uh, the absence of meaningful provisions to promote transparency. Um, and many other limitations have been raised by uh, specialist groups, uh, PB, I mean, uh, PBOs, NGOs, uh, and other interest groups. Um, and it remains to be seen how these are taken on board. Um, thank you very much. Doctor uh, Onilia. I'm here, Honourable um, Chairperson, and that concludes our presentation. There was also two or three slides in um, that we added in terms of the annexures, but the annexures are included in in the brief that has been distributed to members. So the first annexure actually um, provides a detailed comparison of some of the main elements of the prefer uh, preferential procurement regulations and how they are now amended in the new bill. And we've also included the annexure just for information purposes, um, which is just a summary of how to do business with government, basically, and I got that information from the Western Cape uh, website, which I thought is in, um, very interesting information to have. And then um, we also, um, in our brief, we added a summary of some of the comments that has been submitted in the first round to the National Treasury. It's just a summary of all the comments. But the period for comments has been extended from the end of March 
until the end of June. So um, we haven't seen um, additional um, comments that has been submitted by uh, the public, but um, our brief includes some of the, just a summary of some of the comments that has been received. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you. Um, Doc, can, can you take us through the slides quickly of, of comparisons? Um, I will have to. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, it's actually on the brief that we've circulated members. Um, so I will have to open the brief. I'm not sure if. Um, let's, let's, let's try. And see. Do you want the comments or the comparisons? It is about one, two, three, four pages. Um, in terms of the changes from the Preferential Procurement um, Framework Act to this one. Okay, that's, that's, that's fine. Perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll come back to it. Yeah, it, it's quite a bit of information in terms of how the changes that has been made. Okay. Um, um, thank you. This, this, this is a process I would like us to uh, further engage with, perhaps in our next interaction. We may have to touch on some of those other things. Okay. Thank, 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 thank you so much, um, um, <clears throat> um, O'Neill and the and the and the team. Um, I think it does give us a, a helicopter view of 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 the bill and what it, it intends to do, and some of the criticism on 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 the, on the on the bill. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Um, and we, we do factor in what what you said in your introduction uh, that your 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 expertise is some it's somewhere else, but I I think what you have done uh, uh, with, with with the team uh, uh, does serve the purpose. Honourable uh, members, uh, can we have a go on this one? Shaky mom. Honourable Sheikh. Matafa. Matafa. Joseph. Joseph. Yes. Any other honorable member? Morning, Chair. Honorable Dehale. Honorable Dehale. Hi, Honorable Dehale. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, 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 to represent to represent Bogota because it looks like we are the only Bogota today. We we'll have preferential we'll have preferential treatment in the committee. No, thank uh, you. From the honourable members, the only Bogota from the honourable members. There is other Bogota on, in the platform. Any other person? Okay, honourable members. I'm 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 going to be very generous. Um, maximum oh. five minutes. Uh, maximum. Uh, honorable Sheikh, uh, just to preamble your input, uh, honorable members, this is a very, very important legislation. Very, very important yeah. legislation. As I said today, perhaps this is the first bite to this legislation. I, I think we, we need further engagement on it. Honorable Sheikh. 
Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Chair. Thank you for PBO for this presentation, highlighting a lot of the weaknesses, even of the amendment or, or, or the bill before public comment. But allow me, first of all, Chair, to express my disappointment with Treasury, because Treasury are no experts when it comes to procurement, and they've been themselves found wanting on many occasions, like the integrated financial management system and others. And surely I would under my understanding is, Chair, that they should be talking to uh, 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 structures like the Standing Committee on Appropriations and others before they put out these things so they can get a comprehensive idea of exactly what is happening in terms of procurement because we work with these things every day. Now, they've already done this and like we said, there's so many concerns raised already by PBO and I'm going to be raising some of them right now as well. My understanding, Chair, is that this process of of looting or corruption, particularly in the procurement system, doesn't start in the awarding of it. starts long before that. starts, first of all, when those that are responsible to prepare this bill of quantities and things, somebody gets up one morning chair and decides I'm taking my third wife, and he decides to go and apply Section 36B and does uh, award some contract and then comes and regularizes it. Uh, later on, and I think that 36 has, Section 36 has been highlighted by our colleagues then. But that's the first thing. So this information also is given out to uh, those bidders, particularly that some of them prefer. Now, I can tell you, Chair, most of these tenders are given out before they even go out for, uh, for, for awarding uh, because of the collusion that takes place. But what is very important is also, Chair, is that, uh, you know, we've estimated about 240 we're talking about 40 percent on goods and services so as that figure increases the it means the amount is going to be increasing but among some of the challenges that we have particularly in the procurement one of them is being that 15 percent that they talk about which is 15 percent if you are cheaper than lower than 15 percent and you're the lowest tender they don't give even though that you might be qualified, you've got the grading, you've got the references, you have performed exceptionally well. And I'll give you a good example. In KwaZulu-Hotel, there's a company at the moment who used to get most of this work. They cost are the lowest, absolutely credible organization. Now they don't get it directly. They get it there to middlemen. And I gave an example of Josini, how it was given to A, A gave it to B, B gave it to C, C gave it to him, D. He got paid 500,000, A got paid 2 million rand. Now, there's two very important things here. One is of the awarding and who we awarded to, whether they deserve to be awarded this contract. But very importantly is the value for money. And what I don't see covered here, Chair, is how do we deal with the issue of making sure that in an item that costs 10 rand, we are paying 10 rand for and not 100 rand, which is where our major problem lies at the moment. Then, then there are other problems or weaknesses in the entire procurement system. The particularly when you talk about consultants, internal and external, including payment, site establishment. The moment somebody is awarded the contract, we are paying the money for site establishment when there's no site establishment taking place. Now, my understanding is, is that when you award a contract to an organization, they must have the financial muscle and resources to be able to come to start the job and then get paid based on their performance, based on, uh, on, on, on the percentage of work that is done. And that's where there's a lot of other collusion that 
comes play, comes into play where people are getting paid. I'll give you a case now in Duetwich. Yeah? An entire contract was paid before they even started. The entire amount was paid. Now, these things are these procurement processes for me, Chair, are not talking about it. Now, my understanding of transparency, Chair, is this, that when a contract is awarded, and I'm going to give it an, give you an example. If you gave a contract for A4 examination pad and it was given to Mr. A, then it must be advertised that Mr. A got this contract and that we are paying 9 Rand 99 for an examination pad. So the public and other competitors can see that you're paying market-related price, not an increase, what, tenfold increase or 800%, like the president said the other day, increase in the price of those goods. In that way, you'll be saving hundreds of billions of rands in South Africa. So that, for me, is the, the, the other problem. Now, we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, certain people will be barred from doing business because of them being blacklisted, not performing, whatever. Chair, there is no talk in this, in, in this bill on how do you deal with that, because the easiest thing you do is this. If you fail, tomorrow you'll open up another company, you'll put some of your sister or your nephew or your brother-in-law or sister-in-law into that company and you still get the contracts and you continue. There's another problem that we've picked up and one was that this standing committee on appropriation in the last uh, uh, parliament identified where You've got grading and the gradings allow you a certain percentage or certain amount that you can actually uh, uh, bid for. And we went to one where one company was awarded, would only qualified for the grading of up to 54 or 70 million, but got two schools to build at the same time. Okay. And both of them were actually standing. So there's a weakness in terms of that procurement system as well. Then the other problem we found is, Jim, that there is no process to establish whether these people got the financial muscle. We've gone to the Eastern Cape. We saw contracts were standing because contractors do not have the financial muscle to even buy the, buy the material to continue with the job. So that's another thing that, that, that we found uh, 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 that was a, a serious problem in, in, in terms of that. Now, I see we're talking about having another tribunal, another structure with all the internal mechanisms, with, you know, with, with uh, 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 oversight from local, provincial, national. Now there needs to be an additional one put in place to ensure that people are actually uh, complying with it. Now, the PF, PF, PFMA provides guidelines. People are not following those guidelines. They're not following those guidelines because the internal processes that we put are inadequate. People that are responsible in ensuring this oversight and, and, and conducting this internal audit are not performing uh, 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 optimally and we're allowing them to continue. So if we don't deal with those things, I think we're still going to continue dealing with the problem. I believe that in our procurement system, any payment that must be made here must be approved by internal people not external because what they're doing is Jay, there are outside consultants that are colluding and i'm going to give you a good example Jay. there was a housing contract in KwaZulu-Natal. immediately i promise you that the contract was awarded even though there was a geotechnical report and everything a few million rand was added to the price they said they found rock on the site but even though there's insurance on the geotech uh, assessment that was done and things like that. So 
the, through these variation order system, which should be covered in the procurement, which I see they're not covering yet. That is another way where people are polluting and 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 enriching themselves and 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 siphoning out monies. So these are some of the things that I feel that has not been covered, and that I feel that if Treasury had consulted with the Standing Committee on Appropriation and all other structures before they put this out, we, they could have included a lot of these things in it with expert guidance and then called for comment. Because I can tell you now that this. Certainly, and I'd like PBO to respond to me and tell me whether they believe we can save that 240 billion minimum in this country with what we see. For me, I think it's a wasted exercise. I'll stop there for now, Chair. I think you're you muted. Are you there, Chair? Chair, you can unmute. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. okay. Please do. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Honorable um, Sheikh, Honorable Matafa. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chair. And uh, let me maybe start first by welcoming the presentation and thanking Dr. Nelia and the team and uh, joining you, Chair, in congratulating her for attaining her PhD. Chair, maybe let me start first by agreeing with Honorable Sheikh Imam on the issue of accountability at the grassroots level. Um, my view is that all these procurement bills and all the legislation that is there are solid. They just need someone to implement them properly. And I'm sure half of our problems will be resolved. And moving from there, Chair, is that I, I want to put a, a sense that I'm picking up that for me, the bill appears to be more systems and process orientated, and it leaves the human element out, which also speaks to the issue of uh, accountability at the grassroots level. So I'm interested to find out if uh, Dr. Nelia had picked up if whether there is an element that speaks to upskilling of supply chain management because we have a serious challenge now, particularly when you speak of uh, infrastructure development as an economic stimulator. We envisage that there will be a lot of uh, public-private uh, partnership uh, deals that will be coming through. Do we have the necessary skills in the public sector to be able to craft contracts that the terms and conditions are favorable to the state as well as to, to the taxpayer? And second to that is that, do we have enough capacity to be able to evaluate value for money in terms of the service delivery quality as well as the end product delivery? Does it actually meet the minimum standards uh, consumerate to the amount that we are paying? And Chair, whilst all, still on the issue of uh, people's orientation, I would appreciate it if the PBO can indicate if whether the bill speaks to the one of the biggest mandates of uh, government of uh, redressing the imbalances of the past, where we know that Africans, women, youth, people with disabilities have been excluded from the mainstream economy. Can we see that the bill will be able to address or assist that government program? Because we might have a situation where all the legislated indicators of uh, 
economic empowerment are on paper and in policy pronouncement, but we don't see them happening at the grassroots level, particularly within those particular communities as I uh, identified at the top. Now, just speaking of a particular economic sector, I, I want to argue that uh, the public fiscus is also a contested economic space. And, and, and I agree with uh, Honorable Sheikh Imam that there is some uncompetitive behavior that is, that is happening. And the little time that I spent in the public sector, I've realized two major ones that also speaks to matters related to the variations order that uh, Honorable Sheikh Imam spoke to. Uh, spoke to. One is, uh, would the bill be able to respond to preventing the accepting of inflated prices that might result from collusion of big suppliers, particularly when we speak to specialized uh, contracts or major construction companies like we saw with the 2010 World Cup. The second one is uh, the issue of respecting the product and, and respecting is my, my, my invention, invented term the respecting is when you appoint a company that has an ability to manufacture its own equipment. They come on site as and when they service the particular area or particular product you have awarded them to uh, maintain. They only include or use equipment that they only manufacture. So in the next term or when the contract expires, and you have to go on competitive bidding, it is impossible because the only one who would comply to the bid spec is the person who's been working on because they would have converted just to use vehicles, a Toyota from a BMW, and Toyota would not necessarily be able to service BMW part. So they tender endlessly and perpetually becomes a BMW contract. So is the procurement bill responding to that particular issue? The other one chair is uh, the issue of turnaround times I see a lot of emphasis on e-procurement. One of the problems on e-procurement is the system's inability to respond to non-responsive tenders. Is there a mechanism that uh, does not involve uh, human intervention that the bill speaks to in terms of when e-procurement fails to identify a suitable supplier as per the, as per the required service? The other one, Chair, is on standardized procurement protocols. And this also speaks to the issue of collusion. Do we see in the bill a move towards standardizing procurement processes and protocols for uh, specialized services, as well as consulting services? We have been lamenting the expenditure that the state is carrying around consulting services without deriving any particular benefit. So I'll be interested to find out if whether is there a look towards that particular area that across the board, the usage of uh, consulting services is standardized to a point that it can only be considered as the last resort. Chair, the last one is on the cost for bidders. And, and this can also become a barrier to entry, particularly to the specific sector of communities that I spoke to that we should be uh, paying our attention to. The submission of compliance documents and any other supporting documents. Is there a way that the bill can incorporate submission of these documents once and for all, as an example, to the CSD, and when there is a project that a bidder is responding to, 
they don't have to incur the cost of manufacturing, retrieving, and submitting these documents. But these documents can be uploaded on CSD and they remain there and become accessible when the adjudication process uh, starts uh, from the from the state or from the watch, whichever state organ that will be requiring to confirm that particular compliance. Yeah, I think now, Chair, I'm covered. Uh, I will I will come back should there be uh, any opportunity given, but for now, I'm fine. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Aruna Tafa. Honorable Joseph. Thank you, um, Chairperson, and thank you to um, Dr. Nele and the team for the presentation. I, um, first of all, want to start off um, by asking what, what are the current gaps in the current procurement system? What is it that what we read about in the papers or that is at courts or an investigation and state institutions, what, what, what is that information telling us, Chairperson? What is going on in the current that forces us to review our procurement systems that is not working? To the benefit of the people. Um, Chairperson, the, 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 the employees doing business with the state, even there, um, I'm sure another department or that monitoring relation planning can tell us, but I'm not sure if Parliament Budget Office uh, staff can do research or tell us what is the record of non-compliance, the record of current investigations, the record of legal cases at the court, the uh, record of number of procurement uh, processes that were flawed in the various departments, not even including uh, local government. So there must be some other information that informs us why, why this, this thing is so, is so serious. And then um, Mr. Mpeti referred to the dispute resolution. Um, current appeal process, I think sometimes the appeal processes even holds up the service delivery because they have to go, we have to be transparent and we, I'm glad to hear that there seems to be not enough transparency, which is key, but even if it takes longer to, to deliver that service, the integrity of the system and the process is, 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 is very important. But I share um, member Imam's uh, uh, Sheikh Imam's concern about almost another entity, another regulator, ombudsman, um, that is referred to here, and the cost, the cost thereof, Chairperson. Um, I thought we were over-regulated, and now we're talking about integration of supply chain management systems, which is which is important, but then we 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 have to cut out some regulations instead of adding more. That is that is my concern. If we integrate and add more, it, it just gets bigger and more complex and more complicated, to, to my, my opinion. Um, and, and the role of the regulator or the independence thereof, um, pay more people and who they will report to is another question. I think it was raised that they report to Treasury or how independent um, are they? And um, the lack of, in slide 12, um, the lack of transparency, uh, I think that was that was highlighted, and the requirements of the confidentiality. Um, I don't know, so what was said, so I don't know enough what, what was meant by it. Um, and that the bill makes transparency discretionary. I think that's a serious uh, question that we have to ask um, 
Yeah, but I, I do appreciate the non-sensitive um, information about companies and directors and shareholders. The people doing business with the state at the last um, presentation by the Department of Monitoring and Relation Planning, they they told us that in the health department chairperson, there's a number of people doing business with the state and they're even using state resources and offices to do business back to the state. Now, I think our committee must maybe just follow up on that and probably from, if we're going to get them back, we'll probably hear a lot more about those uh, those things because National Treasury must tell us what are they doing about that information that, that is highlighted. Um, Chairperson, I I myself have done business with the state um, before I became a public rep, so I can tell you about procurement procedures, prices, information sharing, and I think lately they are not even sharing. All, all the companies come to the to the tender. Uh, they when the tender close, they're supposed to say what companies, what are their prices, the names. They're supposed to share all the information, and. Um, I, I'm not sure they're doing it anymore. In my experience in the Western Cape, when I was there this last term, five, five years, we visited many schools where where the public works had to bring in, had to remove companies from sites, but they had to go to court and it cost them, the department, public works is, an, is the agent for the department that built the school or the clinic, but it, there's a lot of money involved to remove an agent, uh, incompetent company, I mean, which, which obviously means that our our processes up front before uh, adjudication takes place is, is so important and the technical understanding is, is so important. In closing, Chair, I want to I want to agree that electronic systems is very important, uh, but the, the monitoring of these projects by quality people, uh, technical expertise, particularly in public works, because most of the time they are the agents, is so important. There's not enough monitoring and by the time they find out there's not enough steel in that in that structure of, of, of the first and second floors of a school, or, or when you walk into a RTP uh, house and after two weeks the sand is coming through because the floor they put in too much sand instead of cement, those the, the, then that is a penalty that, that actually must kick in um, to these companies that does not produce the, the, the quality services. Um, because it impacts on service delivery and, 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 and value for money as was already raised and the penalties must it must kick in. I would like to know what is the public comments chairperson in closing of the organizations and I would like to know if the if the uh, maybe Treasury will tell us if if the if the departments itself and municipalities that deals with procurement have also given input as to how we can improve on, on the system and this payment of companies in advance who gets a tender um, they have no experience, no equipment, but they even get money up front. Uh, I don't know, it's probably, I don't know where we've gone off track there to allow that. I know government must have previous disadvantaged uh, companies. We must become more inclusive. The principle there is fine. But I think we've gone overboard in, in paying companies money in advance who get the tender and say, but they don't have a tractor, they don't have this, they don't have that. Otherwise they can't do the job, but they got the tender. We, we need to help people, but we need to help people to get off the ground in how do we establish that company and, and, and how viable is it for the state to engage with the company. And then, uh, Chairperson, my last point. I see no reason, I see no reason why the state cannot have a tender that have predetermined prices. 
Now I know we work in a in a in a, in a market economy that people must tender. But chairperson, there's thousands thousands of paper, boxes of paper being delivered to the state. Toilet paper, stationary items, black bags, cleaning product equipment, which we know we know what is the, the market price. So why do we allow companies to come in at tenfold prices while we, we can say this is the price or the average between that that we can to allow the tender to 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 be adjudicated and then still give it to the companies because. If you look at the speed hump now in a municipality that was now 8,000 five years ago and all of a sudden it's 20,000 or 50, 40,000 for the same speed hump and it's not even the same quality. When they paint uh, road marks on the road, it was you know supposed to last for five, six or seven years, but every six months they must now do the same painting, but the tender is 10 times more, the value for money. So the state, state should not be shy to advertise tenders on a pre predetermined price because we know what the market price is there for the information and allow the companies to work to work for the state and even give the small business more opportunities because the small business cannot compete even against the bigger companies we have other businesses that are used to offset against the lower prices but uh, sometimes they even not they're not even in their scope a company who was building roads for many years just roads specializing roads now I want to build a school and a clinic, which I've never done before. And we've seen it in the Western Cape, where companies will come in and then eventually it ends up in court. And, and the public suffer, and the parliament and the government gets a bad name, and the people suffer, and it's not value for money. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Joseph. Uh, Honorable Tihale. Uh, th thank you very much, Chairperson, and good morning to everybody. Let me join my colleagues in thanking the PBO for the presentation. Uh, one of my, my question, Chair, or my concern was uh, covered by the Honorable Member Sheikh Imam. I wanted to check on the uh, limitations and concerns. So he covered me so well when it comes to the, 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 the family members and, well, what, what is happening now with the the, the, the corruption when it comes to issuing of the tenders on our family members. He covered me so well. And I think if they can be able to address that one, it will uh, ensure that what they are saying here on the reduce or elimination, elimination of corruption from the public procurement, it really comes to pass. Because if we talk about elimination corruption, but on the other side, uh, the taxpayers are not satisfied with our work or how we are running our, our tenders, then it's, it's a problem. And I don't know whether uh, I'll be out of order, but if I'm out of order, Chair, you will assist me in the question. I know you'll have the answers. <laughs> you as a Chair. Uh, when it comes to the, the, the payment of those who did the work, uh, people are still crying, they are suffering, they They've done the work and they are not receiving their what is due to them. Let me put it like that. For example, Chair, I have a letter of the because people if people know that we are we are working in Parliament, whenever they see us, they see the solutions, Chair. So I have a I have a letter of the to me telecommunications. I I see I'm not protected, Chair. Somebody is laughing. I don't know if they laughing at me or laughing with the family. No, I said give us hope what you said now. 
give us hope. People think good of us when they see us. Sorry. Yeah, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. At least you're supporting me. Thank you, honorable member. Uh, I, I was saying I received a letter from the Nzumi telecommunication complaint. They are complaining about the non-payment of uh, 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 the, their work by the Makado municipality. These people have done the work since 2018, and they have not received their payment of 9.219225.56 inclusive to date, Chairperson. And we respect these people to... I don't know, to, 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 to respect us. When they see us, we expect them to have trust on us. But whenever they do the work where we are doing the oversight visit, they are not receiving the payment. So uh, the, 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 the part of the draft of the bill is not talking about this one. I don't know whether uh, on their side things are going well or not. But if they can try and assist this type of, I don't, I'm sure it's not only the remit telecommunications those who are complaining, I'm sure there are many. So if they 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 are they are a, a bill and try and cover up these things and be very strict on those who received who did the work, and they are supposed to receive what is due to them, and they do that at the end of the day, I think it will also uh, make our work easier. But please, can the PBO address what uh, the honourable Sheikh Imam raised sharply from the beginning? Because that's my concern, my concern also. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Tehale. Uh, um, any other honorable member would like to, uh, to have a bite? Okay. Um, um, if, if I may I may come in. Uh, thank you so much, uh, uh, Dr. Neda and the team for the for the for the for the presentation. I think it, 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 uh, your presentation raises a number of issues, and some of them the honorable members have, have, have uh, <coughs> referred to them. Um, I also wanted to say um, I had a lot of questions uh, directed to, uh, to PBO, um, and uh, they, 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 they said upfront it's, it's not their, their bill, they, are, uh, uh, they were just critically looking at, at, at the bill. Uh, and I could see a lot of questions, which I think shouldn't be going to, uh, uh, to the CPO. There are things we should be addressed by National Treasury, the custodian of this bill. The CPO, uh, uh, the Office of the Chief Procurement Officer, will be implementing, is implementing the act. So I think National Treasury should, uh, uh, and it's a, a very important piece of legislation, honor, honorable members. <clears throat> Two, um, uh, let, uh, let me also say that uh, I was very generous with time. Uh, all the members on average, they took 10 minutes, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> except for Honorable Tehale. I'm not, I'm not complaining. Uh, it's because of the importance of, of, of this bill and uh, we, do, we do have time. We do have time. And, uh, I, the time that we're having, I know it's not even enough for us to be to comprehensively deal with this uh, legislation. So, uh, PBO, the questions that you can't answer, you must say so that no, no, this one you, you can't you can't answer. But uh, um, uh, I would expect that the support staff will be noting those things so that uh, we can be in a position to raise them uh, with uh, <clears throat> uh, with who 
uh, with national treasure, I think, who's the custodian of 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 of, of this bill. Uh, I want to hear from you, um, the members of, of of this committee. Whenever we 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 talk uh, or we debate uh, about uh, our preparation bill uh, or bills, we always say that uh, the budget is uh, transformative and it, it enhances economic inclusion over the previous disadvantage. So I want to, does it do that as far as you're concerned? And if it does, where? Um, um, <clears throat> you know, the triple PFA, it's, it's, it's there, uh, it's called preferential procurement, but uh, um, we know that it, it, it was never able to achieve that objective. So if this one, what's your view as far as this one is concerned? Also want to get from you, um, how is the bill advancing local production? Uh, three, how is the bill advancing employment creation? Is the bill, as far as I know, this is very subjective. Is the bill an improvement from triple PFA uh, or what? And uh, uh, please uh, give us some a, a, a supporting answer for a, a supporting evidence for whatever you're saying. How does this bill promote economic growth? We deal with the budget here and, and we have said whether when you look at all the economic, macroeconomic variables, fiscal macroeconomic variables, we see that they are deteriorating. But I think we've argued that at the center of all that is the lack of um, um, <clears throat> economic growth. And um, and we have argued here in this uh, uh, forum when we interact uh, with different departments that we want them to use the budget to also advance economic growth. So the question is, do you see this bill doing that? Also, how does the bill promote innovation? For instance, um, 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 is there is there an accommodation of unsolicited bids? Um, especially if you look at, at the IT industry, there are a lot of innovations and so on. Something where you'll never find government going out on tender on something that they don't know. So we find that there is a solution that the public is having out there and who they would like to, uh, to, to, to make available to the government. Uh, but you find that uh, the government will never come out on tender of, of that. So that person who has innovated something comes to government um, and then the government say, okay, we'll go out on tender on your innovation. So you, you understand, I'm just saying, uh, does the bill provide for that? Does it encourage innovation? Uh, <clears throat> there's been a lot of um, public comments about the tendering system where people say, uh, let's do away with these tenders. So um, I'm, I just want to get from what we have, uh, 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 what you have. How else can government buy goods and services without going through a tender system? Um, perhaps you do have some uh, <clears throat> uh, information as far as that is concerned. Uh, oral members spoke about 
variation orders uh, or, or variations. You know, triple PFA uh, has got a, a 90-10 rule. Uh, where it, what does that mean? And an, an, an 80-20 rule. What does that mean? 80-20 rule means that when your bid is being evaluated, 80% of the weight is given to, to the price and 20% to the rest. The 90-10 rule says that 90% of the weighting when you are evaluating is given to the price and 10% and, and is given to everything else, your PE, your, uh, uh, your localization and so on and so forth. So it means price is a big determinant of who ends up getting uh, the, the uh, uh, who gets allocated work. But now what does this uh, uh, price variation do? It changes that price that you, you, you got in completely. So people, uh, uh, please uh, mute Honorable Joseph. Uh, close your video, close your video. It's fine if you have something, thank you. <clears throat> um, so in 90-10 rule says that 90% went of the evaluation of your tender was based on price. But immediately you are in, you, you get in and you uh, you vary your price. It, it may end up, the instances where it ends up being the, 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 the highest price. So that's, that's the variation and so on. Is that being taken care of or to understand what I'm, 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 I'm talking about? But then there's another thing, a very look at a deviation. You know, we've got all the, we have got all the laws that we're having, but one can apply to, to, to the uh, chief procurement officer to have a deviation, to be allowed to deviate. I'll tell you, for instance, there was, um, there was a year where there was deviation to the tune of 40 billion rand, right? A, a National Treasury through the OCPO approved 40 billion rand. Let me not say National Treasury, the chief, the chief procurement officer, a deviation of 40 billion rand. And these are not very senior government officials. Uh, in fact, of that 40 billion rand, I can tell you 32 billion rand of those deviations were from ESCOM and they were approved by an individual and it was within his, uh, his rights to do that. But I'm saying, how are we catering, are we taking care of that? Um, I'm also raising these things for the record so that these are the things that we as the committee, when we interact with National Treasure, want them to uh, uh, to 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 include them, those things in the bill. We know that from here we've, we've spoken about, I don't know, it's, it's, vari it's variation, of a company at ESCOM which got in at 14 million rand, but as we are talking today, it's having a 14 billion rand uh, work without going through any other process. So those such, such things are we taking uh, uh, care of them. And lastly, The, 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 the fraud and manifestance by a big companies, by and large, uh, the geopolis and oligopolies, where they collude, I think Honorable Matafa referred to this, uh, where they, they colluded and defrauded the state, uh, is, 
is the bill saying anything about about this including barring such companies from doing a, 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 a business with government in the future so i think that would be my 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 contribution uh, dr nelia please uh, uh, come in with, with your team you'll indicate who picks up what uh, you are all yours the time it's uh, uh, just go and see how far you can go i don't want to give you any limit tries what you can to address these things and as i said honorable members and 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 colleagues from the support staff uh, i want you to, to to note these things which have been raised by honorable members because we must be able to raise them in another forum this bill it's it's it's, it's not a ppo bill it's a national treasury bill they were asking they were assisting us to try and understand it up front they did uh, speak about their their limitations uh, 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 thank you dr nelia Thank you, Honourable Chair. I will start and then my colleague Dumisani indicated that he also wants to um, respond to some of the questions and then I'll also give my other colleagues opportunity to um, respond. Um, I think most of the things members mentioned was still about the problems that we're currently sitting with and whether this bill addresses all of it. The bill is actually placing a lot of responsibility at this stage um, on the public procurement regulator, which will be within the National Treasury, because that regulator, as well as the public, um, public procurement tribunal, um, the bill is clear on the responsibilities, but I'm sure it can um, they can expand on that as well. Because the, in terms of the bill, the public procurement regulator must ensure that the instit institutions comply with the bill and engage in the prudent spending of public funds. They must reconsider decisions by institutions. The regulator must continuously revise and guide the procurement and the procurement system. They must promote and ensure the integrity of the procurement system. And the regulator must also establish and maintain a register of debarred bidders. And then the public procurement tribunal um, has to review decisions made by the regulator or provincial treasuries. So they even have to review the processes that has been approved already by provincial treasuries. And parties not satisfied with the outcomes can review in terms of the promotion of just um, Administrative Justice Act. Some of the things that members are worried um, or asked about in terms of the BEE codes and everything has not been defined as yet. The bill is indicating that the Minister of Finance uh, must prescribe a framework that must consider BEE, a preference point system, measures to advance a category of categorizers of persons previously disadvantaged by unfair discrimination. The minister must still um, provide measures to advance a category or categories of businesses or a sector. So those are the things that has not been um, attached to the bill. So those are things that are still outstanding. And then um, the minister must also consult with um, the minister responsible for women, youth, people with disabilities, small businesses, trade, industry, competition or infrastructure before making a regulation. So there are still a lot of other role play, play, players that needs to come in when the Minister of Finance are um, providing the regulations um, in terms of this bill. 
And then there was something else that was also important. Um, the minister could set aside certain government tenders so that historically disadvantaged persons can submit bids. I think this relates to what um, Honorable Sheikh was also indicating or that he was concerned about is that you, a tender has been awarded and then they subcontracted like a few times, which actually escalate the price. But um, in terms of this bill, the minister could set aside certain government tenders um, for, um, for historically disadvantaged people. But it also indicates that the minister can also put out certain tenders that can be subcontracted. So not all tenders will be um, allowed to subcontract. So those are some of the things that we've also attached to the little brief that, that we've circulated. Um, but as I say, some of these things has not been defined and it's not clear and the attachments has not been completed or attached to this bill. Um, this bill also indicates that there's a lot of role for organs of state. Um, when you prepare a, a bid, for example, you must consider the qualifications criteria. Um, you must look at professional or technical qualifications. Um, the, the tender must actually provide information for financial resources, equipment, personnel and managerial um, capabilities, record of the past performance of similar contracts, registration of licensing with a professional body, um, and any other criteria deemed necessary. So the bill provides for the pre preparation or additional information that is required when you prepare um, an invitation to bid. So there are things that the bill um, is addressing, but there are also outstanding information that is required um, um, from the minister. So I will now give over to my colleague and then the other colleagues can also come in. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, I think I'll come in after Rashad and Peter. Thanks. Okay, continue to team PBO in whatever format you want to. Thank you, Chairperson and Honourable Members. There are a few questions that I'd like to respond to based on in areas where I do have uh, some working knowledge. And as you allowed us your indulgence, Chairperson, where we don't know, we're not going to pretend to know uh, or, or, or respond. Uh, Honourable Sheikh Imam, we noted that non-sensitive bid information, such as company name, directors, shareholders, and, and bid prices, uh, and uh, evaluation committees' reports should be publicly available uh, to ensure greater transparency. You know, so if you have a project which should cost a million rands, uh, you know, a construction project, but it's coming out at two or three million rands, that information is publicly available, then obviously there'll be more scrutiny over the respective um, you know, awarding uh, department, uh, and that can then be you know, appealed. Um, and that should be the case across all the stages of the bid process. Uh, there is a term used, and some of the, the public comments have noted it, the necessity of disclosing um, beneficial ownership. So the difference between beneficial ownership and normal ownership is person A may own company B, uh, and maybe, maybe there's another person who is debarred from doing business with the state two or three degrees uh, or two or three steps down the process. 
so there's a holding company hold by, held by another person whose spouse or whose family member uh, is the actual ben actual um, uh, owner or, or benefactor of that specific company. Uh, so for practical purposes, we could call beneficial ownership um, the, a national person or people who effectively have control and benefit uh, from a legal entity. So they may not be registered as the actual owner, but they indirectly benefit from it. And so that type of beneficial ownership disclosure would be quite useful uh, to promote transparency. And I think that's, that's quite important over here, given the points you've raised. Uh, the other point raised by both the chairperson uh, and two of the other members was on the role of uh, re uh, redressing historical legacies. Uh, and we do note that in the previous legislation uh, had emphasized on, on preferential procurement, specifically around historically disadvantaged individuals, but also women uh, and people with disabilities. Um, so clause two provides um, for the, in the objects of the bill notes, the importance of incorporating in the procurement system uh, categories of preference uh, in the allocation of contracts. And this includes uh, the protection and advancement of persons and categories of persons disadvantaged by historical uh, uh, legacies and, and unfair discrimination. So there is this general provision over here. However, and as I've noted, uh, that the minister needs to prescribe a framework for preferential treatment um, and the protection and advancements of persons uh, disadvantaged uh, by unfair discrimination. Uh, and this is, and, and for this to happen, the, the Minister of Finance needs to consider the broad-based Black Economic Empowerment Act uh, accordingly um, for preferential treatment. Um, the chairperson asked some questions. Um, I can uh, attempt to answer them, and this will be um, only in part. One is the role of procurement uh, in, in facilitating economic growth. Um, so I do think, um, you know, as a simple uh, measure, the state procures, Sipatelo uh, provided some uh, estimates of the, the percentage of national GDP that's emanating uh, from public procurement, and it's quite significant, uh, but the simple improvement in efficiency of spending. So if you are only able to fund you know, 70% of your infrastructure needs in a particular year because of poor procurement, and only 60% of that was effective, uh, you've lost out on 42% um, of spending uh, because of inefficiencies. And if that could be improved, then you're almost doubling your, your efficiency in a particular year, uh, and you're spending more effectively. And as a consequence, one is your economy performs better, but secondly, there's much needed social and economic infrastructure provided, so, and, and you don't need to replace it. So the simple relationship between public, efficient public spending uh, without leakages and without wastage and corruption and correct specs uh, directly contributes to economic growth. So, and, and again, I mean, the relationship between public procurement and growth is a lot more complicated than just, um, you know, the efficiency and, and the total amount spent is also the need for complementary uh, uh, spending between, say, infrastructure and, 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 and maintenance costs uh, and the like. But uh, generally speaking, uh, that relationship is a bit intuitive. Similarly, when it comes to employment or innovation, uh, as the chairperson noted, these are all objects of the act. They are, they are specific objects uh, related to the promotion of employment to, towards innovation. Uh, there's no mention as a chairperson inquired about unsolicited, um, unsolicited uh, uh, um, you know, pitches from, from, from society that may have ideas uh, for the state, so unsolicited contracting. Uh, so that's to be noted. At the same time, I think it's important for us to note that there are various objectives, and I, I think we provided this, I think, on the third slide of our presentation, various objectives related to procurement. 
And these at, at times may require trade-offs and may pull in different directions. So if you're trying to uh, promote uh, businesses, a small business, for example, but a small business may not have uh, the necessary efficiencies and economies of scale that a large business has. And so if you want to try and procure something that's quite urgently required uh, at a sufficient scale at the right price, uh, you may be favoring a large business over a small business for the sake of price. Uh, but if you're procuring on a large scale, uh, then perhaps the savings are a few billion and you need to forego a particular policy objective for realization of another policy objective uh, in that simple example. And there's inevitably going to be levels of trade-off and that trade-off um, then depends on the specific objectives of that uh, contracting uh, department uh, and the particular economic climate that may exist. There may be a time where uh, you are able to pay more for premium uh, for other policy objectives. Uh, and there, there may be a time when, um, you know, costs pumps everything else. Um, and, and again, that's that's uh, subject to, to uh, the framework that needs to be provided by the Minister of Finance. Uh, I think that covers, um, so there's, there's two more parts regarding deviations as the chairperson inquired. Uh, regarding deviations that regulator may authorize a deviation from the application of a procurement method or instruction uh, envisaged in the act. So I think that that uh, that sits with the um, uh, regulator, and so it's not it's it's still uh, there is a provision for it, but again, it's uh, uh, discretionary. Uh, similarly, when it comes to um, I'm missing the other part over here, but I'll come back to it if I can find it again in my in my notes. Uh, I can hand over to Supertello and to Misani. Um, thank you so much for that. Uh, good morning, honorable members. I think Peter is struggling with the network. Also, I have to switch off my net, my camera because I'm struggling a bit because it's still like technology. So yeah, I just switch off my camera. Please, please, you can't hear you, dog. All right, thank you. Can you hear me now, Chairperson? Yeah, that's better. Yes, I was struggling. So thank you so much. Good morning. I think my comments, Chairperson, and other members and colleagues will clearly be coming from the policy objectives about the uh, body energy documents. You know, try to get from that perspective. You know, I'll just comment from that. I think, firstly, Chairperson and other members emphasize that international experiences of regulatory reforms have shown that uh, political, economic, and social environment fluctuations tend to affect the approach in developing regulatory reform. And, and over the years, and at that time, it tends to lead to unintended consequences or uh, unintended our social and economic outcomes. So I think it's very important to have that take of a mind. One recent example, um, you know, related to major regulatory reform, uh, if you look at the causes in the financial crisis, we have seen uh, many, many, many countries. We've seen many, many countries discussing. So I mean, I'm trying to cancel the. the, the Call coming, and I'm using my phone to to to, to, to use the network. So it's kind of phone. We've seen many countries discussing health reform, the financial sector reform, and the sponsor risks and failures that led to the collapse of the world financial system. And South Africa is one of those countries that actually, um, you know, um, that you know went through the process of reforming the financial sector, financial sector in response to the failures there. Uh, during the process where South Africa was going through the financial sector regulation process, uh, Parliament took a very taught the United Kingdom's 
as one of the few countries that quickly reformed the financial sector regulation uh, for listening to the experience. And I think one of the lessons that, or things that came out was highlighted by many stakeholders, as I deduced from the discussion, was the uh, importance of identifying potential unintended consequences or having kind of clear socioeconomic impact assessment as part of um, processing the regulatory reform. Uh, more so that we look at uh, you know, broader reforms which are likely to affect the entire economy or ecosystems. You need some of the very robust socioeconomic impact assessment as something. And in particular, when I listen to discussions as used from the engagement with the current part, uh, you know, one of the unintended consequences identified is that even if the financial sector regulation uh, reform was intended to deter discipline, uh, bad behavior, uh, suppliers, uh, sector players, or different activities that led to the collapse, the initial financial uh, reform ended up in two perspectives, uh, two focused in addressing the risk and solutions at expense of the wider economic development, particularly uh, economic growth. Uh, it was bad that you know, a uh, few years down the line, after passing the reform, government uh, and the regulator had to pass some amendments to try to listen up some of the specific measures which we came up with with the, with the regulatory reforms in that regard. And, and the reason why I'm raising this chapter in on our members is example that, of course, our economies are after, we're also going through some political, economic, social uh, developments and fluctuations that certainly impact on the regulatory approaches, the points that we take, the government and stakeholders. Uh, in challenging challenges procurement, uh, but it's very important to always try to you know zoom out and say what are some of the highest and of course the, the current climate is likely to lead to high risk of death, especially thinking around the reform itself. Uh, this is therefore will therefore require a deliberate approach in drawing good balance between dealing with the weaknesses in the system, but also dealing with taking into account the broader developmental objectives uh, uh, set out in, in the various uh, policy statements. Uh, of course, looking at the public procurement spending, virtually 3% the state ownership is estimated as 1.2 uh, trillion annually and remains one of the strategic policy instruments available for governments that certain many of them in our economy and society, and this role should be protected from any reform uh, affecting such an economy. And I think it's very important to also make sure that it's taken account. Looking at the draft bill, uh, of course, my expectation is that the bill will change to a forward in the stable in Parliament, taking into account all the comments which we received uh, from various stakeholders. I think generally it's seen as an important development by government in addressing some of the long standing challenges in public procurement, as also mentioned by colleagues earlier. But in particular, dealing with fragmentation in the legislative framework procurement, public procurement, and also relating to, to, to uh, government failure. But however, Chapter Anonymous, there are indications that the draft bill, as it is in the current form, is likely to lead to some of the unintended consequences or undermine some of the strategic objectives out in the uh, you know, medium term framework or the constitution, like you know, ensuring inclusive growth. Uh, you know, localization, rural, you know, development, and, and, and also doing some of these issues set out in some of these uh, policy objectives that we have. So there are already indications that, therefore, as, as you've seen some of the comments from, from the various stakeholders in the bill, therefore, uh, Parliament may have government to provide a socioeconomic impact assessment analysis informed the process of 
and processing the bill once it's tabled in Parliament. So, you know, try to uh, that confidence that government has considered some of the implications that we have. Looking at the broad uh, development of the actions that we set out in the Constitution and, and various uh, policy, like and other policies that are. Some of the specific factors that Parliament may take into account when proceeding the bill once it's tabled in Parliament may include uh, some of these three measures I've noted, four measures I've noted. One, uh, to ensure that uh, the, 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 the framework of procurement, as, per, as it's protected by Section 2 of the Constitution, is contained in the bill itself, as opposed to being delegated uh, to decision the policy measures or the advocacy. Uh, currently, these, uh, these uh, preferential recruitment are inadequately addressed and left regulate outside the bill. So as, as this is will go against the section two and three of the constitution, two and seven and three of the constitution prescribing that measure of uh, legislation to provide for such framework. It's very important to do that. Number two, to ensure that with a clear transparent framework for awarding of tenders in the bill itself, um, as opposed to leaving out, you know, having an abstract uh, 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 like I think it's called the, the tender issues to say the, the most economically acceptable bill. It's not very clear, it's very, very abstract. So you need to ensure that the bill have very clearly uh, transparent in terms of how the tenders will be awarded. Um, a distinction goes between the governing or oversight bodies of structures and the management of public entities. To ensure that there's clear distinction there to avoid some of the agency problems that we have experienced over the years in public public procurement. Uh, four, uh, ensure that there are clear operational accountability and engagement between the public uh, procurement regulator and various stakeholders. Ensure that there's clear uh, mechanisms of accountability between you know, the regulator, other stakeholders in the public procurement. Being still out in the bill itself as opposed to left out of the bill. Ensure that uh, the bill empowers public and procurement managers to continue to do can't make honest mistakes. As failures to do so would lead to unintended. So even that implementation then doesn't realize the broader product objective. The bill has a framework. The bill is a framework that distinguishes between normal procurement of good institutions and procurement related to such innovation, which you know procurement people say that a clear distinction in terms of what will happen in cases where there's such innovation which normally take the people's favor in procurement. I also take into account, as Coach was saying, that the world economy is digitizing and, and, of course, ensure that it's taking account in the bill and so on. So, on a particular, I'm going to say that it's very important to also have that economic effect and look at those issues that are addressed. I think that's what I want to comment on. Just try to try some of the best to raise my numbers, but it is. Thank you so much, Thank, thank you so much, uh, uh, Dr. Janchis. But let me tell you, we're all struggling to hear you. We'll hear some of the things, and uh, um, some who, who wouldn't. Um, uh, I, I hope it's only today's uh, a, a challenge because we definitely would like, would have loved to hear everything that you were you were saying. But 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 thank you, thank thank you very much. Any other person from the team who, who, who would like to have a bite? From 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 your team, uh, uh, Dr. Nini. Um, I think um, that concludes our presentation for the day, Honourable Butelizi.
Um, and none of my colleagues has indicated that they want to contribute. Okay, thank you. Um, honorable members, uh, you can have a second a second bite. Um, I'll be strict at this time, just, just two minutes. Yes, Chair. Okay, I remember as I said, it's, it's strictly two minutes and uh, uh, please time yourselves so that I, I don't, uh, in, in, because we must give the team an opportunity. And I would also like to hear from you, what do you suggest, how do we progress this uh, 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 process? Uh, Honorable Kaiso. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Kaiso, you, 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 you didn't speak uh, during the initial round. So yes, you, you can have more time. So, so I, yeah. Thank you very much, uh, <clears throat> no, Chair. Uh, I, I will try to be brief. Uh, I, I missed a part of the input by Dr. Janchis, but however, what I wanted to say, because I was listening to uh, <clears throat> Dr. Neil uh, when she was saying that there's a number of inputs which are supposed to form part of the of the bill and therefore that would uh, create some um, a little problem in as far as you know contextualizing all what the bill seeks to achieve at the end of the day and therefore calls upon us that maybe we we, we still have to have a round when we have a quite a uh, I mean, uh, formulated bill with those areas that she mentioned that they have they are left behind. They are still to the because this bill is now at an infantry stage. There still has to be other areas which are supposed to be included. I think it's very very much important because why I'm saying this chair is because now I think the bill has to be very clear what it actually seeks. Uh, to address at the end of the day, uh, because it, it, it won't just be an area which seek to talk about prevention of uh, corruption only, and you know, and but obviously in terms of its policy intent, it must be very clear, and its objectives, what it seeks to address. Because my understanding is that we we are in a situation where we say now in economic terms, we want to see uh, ownership of uh, uh, economy by the people gradually, you know, retaining into their hands. So if, if that, if the, the amendment should be such that it, it then seek to address that, but I don't find it so easily here because of, you know, you find a lot of outcry from black business as well. But now the nature of the bill, uh, if you look at it uh, summary, it also still carries the or seek to entrench the old traditions, uh, which then doesn't actually go to address the 
the, 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 the intent and objective. So I think that area is very critical that what it seeks to actually uh, 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 seek to address in terms of the policy intent and objectives. The issue of local uh, localization, I think is a priority of the, it's our priority. Uh, so it, it, it must be strengthened. It must be strengthened because it's very much important. Uh, let me pause there. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Kaisa. Um, Honorable Thank you. Thank, thank you, Chair. Can you hear me? Are we clear? Yeah. Chair, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, yeah, you're audible, Honorable Member. Yes, you can hear me. Thank you, thank you very much, Chair. Yeah. I think one of the things that it is not addressing is the issue of fronting, uh, where many companies are just using black entrepreneurs to, 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 to just use them for the purposes of fronting and getting uh, a business. And as a result, uh, that these small black entrepreneurs never progress because they are totally dependent on these fronting companies. So I think that also we need to look at the way of how you're going to ensure that these smaller businesses are empowered by these bigger companies, particularly in the case of those subcontracting and things like that. My concern is the issue of this, uh, you know, the public not having an opportunity to be able to report on these things. And I'd like Treasury, Chair, I think that we should call Treasury to come and do a presentation. So maybe we could have a PBO here on that day as well, and then we could highlight all our concerns and let Treasury respond to them. Now, Chair, the issue that I have a concern with is, uh, <laughs> and this is going to be a sore point. You know, uh, I don't know how we're going to separate politics from, 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 from administration, Chair. Because political parties all over wherever they govern depend on funding from these tenderpreneurs and these business people who in turn depend on these political parties to give them these tenders and things. Political parties, mayors and deputy mayors appoint these uh, 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 directors and municipal managers and things and it's payback time. So I think we need to look at this thing very holistically. The other issue which I've highlighted earlier on was the issue of grading. Some mechanisms got to be put in place to make sure that if you qualify for a certain amount based on your grading, that it must be able to block you getting a second tender because that exceeds the amount that you qualify for and you don't have the capacity to finish it. But at the same time, Chair, I'm saying that if we want to help small businesses, and one of the things that I indicated when we went on an oversight and we discussed this with trade industry, we've done nothing, that if you want to build these small businesses and capacitate them, then why don't we with material the state greater role in providing resources to cover the cost of the uh, material and then pay them with labor and that way you might be empowering them because certainly a lot of them do not have the, the, the resources uh, based on being disadvantaged for a long period of time to be able to uh, improve their, their businesses. So that's the other issue uh, that I think. Uh, now, Chair, I have a serious problem with people saying that, you know, you 
or if you got if you politically connected children of members of parliament or those in government should I don't know whether it's the right thing to do I to isolate anybody if some way or the other related to some politician or government of here what we need is to put mechanisms to ensure there's no corruption that they also participated free fair got the, the tender through a transparent and credible process but i don't think it is fair to keep all these people totally out i mean i mean it was somebody some member of parliament son decide he wants to be a business he should be given the the equal opportunity provided there's no corruption so that's generally my my view but i'd like pbo to tell us you know what do they believe in terms of some of these things we highlighted could be done to be able to strengthen the procurement system particularly in getting value for money so that we'd be able to save hundreds of billions of rand in south africa thank you thank you rabul a a a sick man honorable tikhale Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, I am partly covered by my colleagues. Uh, what I want to to check is that uh, if ever maybe uh, the colleagues of Dr. Chanji has heard what he was say or he, what he was telling us in his responses, maybe they can assist us because I did not even hear a word, and I would like to know what what was he saying to us concerning what we have raised. And, and Chair, you have touched on the, the, the issues raised by the, the public when it comes to doing, our, doing away with the tenders. Uh, can, can, I, can I stress uh, my view that uh, I agree with them that we should do away with the tenders. Maybe all these problems will come to an end. Thanks, Chair. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Joseph. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. I just want to revisit the point of um, uh, doing business with the state. Now, I'm again talking of my experience in the, in the provincial parliament the last five years. If there is a far-off town, countryside, where, where there's a general practitioner, and nowadays they have contracts with the state, he's got his own practice and his contract with the state. So, if there's a crisis, in that far off place and that official or person that is a contract with the state is the only person that can provide that service it should be allowed and i think in the system of procurement there is an application that officials can do and get permission to do that service if there's a if there's a crisis so i think it's important they apply up front and it's, it's either accepted or it's turned down for example the spca which only get in a few towns if it's a serious operation that must be done this person is employed of the state, but he's registered, he's got a practice. You need to do the operation on some kind of animal. That is my experience that, that one has to understand. There's exceptional circumstances too for people doing business uh, with the state, but the, the norm should be through through procurement. And then share the disaster management. I don't know if disaster management is included here. Flooding, uh, drought, um, because local government rights to province and province to national and it's two or three years down the line the bridge is still not built was was not there because of floods those those things also needs attention a quicker faster service delivery um and and i would like i'm not sure if disaster management is going to be be, be also included and the state-owned entities I, I hope that they will be part of equally treated as government departments and not excluded 
uh, that they not be allowed to do their own thing, that they become part of this uh, new amendment bill. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you so much, um, Honorable uh, Joseph. Um, um, from from the P PBO team, if anyone can summarize uh, what uh, uh, Dr. Chanchi said, uh, if you are also struggling, I think we'll get another chance to try and and hear and hear him. I wouldn't like to even even attend to because he kept on cutting big time. Perhaps if some of you had him, that's that's fine. Otherwise, we'll get another time. Or he can Chair, sir. Sorry, Chair. Yeah, uh, he, has, he has given his his input to me in writing. I will distribute it to the members. Thank you. Thank you so much. That 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 helps. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Janchis. Uh, Thanks, uh, 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 Darren. Um, I I I'll, I'll repeat the question, oral members, uh, about um, the the call to do away with the tender system, and then I ask the question, uh, Perez from uh, your research. How else does government buy goods and services if it's not through tender system? If you could just uh, uh, attend to that, uh, it's it's back it's back to you, um, uh, uh, Dr. Onelia and the team. Um, thank you, Chairperson. I think there was a few questions around um, the the main objective of this draft bill, and the main objective was actually to try and bring all these separate um, systems and mechanisms and processes together. And um, if you just page through the draft bill, you can see um, they've really made an effort to bring all of these things together. But uh, the bill is really still in a draft format. And um, one must just try and make sure that they, with all these additional things that the minister must still provide frameworks with that we don't sit with a complex system again with all these additional frameworks because the object of the act is basically to to make it less complex so that um, officials and departments can comply and also most of the things that members actually was raising as concerns is um, it's actually already encaptured in all the other systems and legislation and policies, but people that just did not adhere to, to those policies and regulations, but they are there. Um, even one of, I think it's Honorable Sheikh Imam that says that, why don't we have a list of prices? The Treasury do have lists of prices, even now with the, with the COVID-19, there was a list of prices of what um, departments are supposed to pay for the PPEs, but they just didn't adhere to the um, the list and the guidelines that was given from Treasury. So that is also a big problem. Um, and then you also now indicated that other means um, uh, of um, there's other ways of buying things. Um, I'm just trying to find it in the brief because in the um, supply chain management um, of public sector, 
of the Western Cape, they actually indicated there are different ways how they purchase. They purchase through petty cash, they uh, purchase, purchase through verbal um, or fax quotations, they pur purchase through uh, um, quotations via um, this, their procurement system, they've got open bidding, limited bidding, urgent and emergency procurement, they do provide for that, and then transversal contracts, and then through PPPs. Um, that is uh, just from the Western Cape website that I've got. Um, one can also look at other provinces, but this was specific on the um, Western Cape website that they indicated this is how they procure goods and services. So I don't know if some of my other colleagues want to come in. Um, Okay, in terms of Tumisani, Yankee's input, I also couldn't hear him. So what I suggest, he put it in an email or in a one-pager and he can submit it to, to the secretary, to the committee, because I also couldn't hear what he was saying, Honorable Butelizi. No, 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 no. Yes, that has already been attended, two years already sent. Okay. sharing it with honorable members. Thank you. Okay, um, so um, that was my answer to some of these questions. And as I said, we, we don't have all the answers to all the questions. And uh, one of the members also indicated that this, this is still early days in terms of this draft bill. Um, the, the comments from the public has not been included in this draft bill. So when Treasury comes to present to the committee, it might look um, quite different from what it is currently that we have on paper. Um, Siraj, or for Rashad, I don't know if you also want to come in um, in terms of the value for money. Okay, um, just a few uh, questions uh, to respond to in a pointed manner. Honorable uh, Kaiso asked about um, localization and transformation. Uh, that is both an object of the bill uh, along with other economic objectives. Uh, and it, it's given expression in the um, regulations that need to be presented by uh, the Minister of Finance. Uh, that's the first one. Uh, Honorable Joseph asked about disaster management and emergency procurement. Again, this is governed by regulations. So there is provision for this. So your example of like you know, a bridge falls down, it needs to be procured uh, quite urgently. There is allowance for this um, under the regulations as well. Uh, and the last point, again, to re-emphasize the idea of meaningful ownership, and that also addresses the, the concern about fronting. So company A may have a high uh, triple BEE score, but in reality, the, those who, who meaningfully benefit from that company being awarded the contract uh, may be another party, um, either through sub-ownership or sub-contracting, and the full disclosure of meaningful ownership uh, would assist to address that. Uh, because we, we do know that this is a phenomenon in South Africa and it retards the objectives of transformation and, and uh, distribution uh, through procurement. Uh, so there is three uh, specific points um, I wanted to respond to. Uh, that's and, and, and the other point specific to um, is that what are the other alternatives beyond what Nidia noted to uh, procurement? I mean, the state uh, would struggle to do everything in-house. And there are times where you know, the economic rationale for doing things in-house um, makes more sense. Uh, and there are times when outsourcing it actually make, makes more sense. Uh, outsourcing makes sense when it's something that's, that's not a frequent, uh, frequently required. 
Um, so if you require a particular niche uh, project to be delivered, it doesn't make sense for the state to have that those capabilities in-house all the time and to be paying people retainer salaries or full-time salaries. So you go out on tender when something is very niche. Uh, and again, this is debated for certain other areas. Uh, so recently we saw, um, you know, uh, out the, outs the, the previous outsourcing of security guards uh, across certain state departments uh, bring insourced again. Uh, and this has both financial implications, but also it also uh, implications about the dignity of, of uh, employees uh, to have full-time employment. So, so there's many facets over there uh, to consider the debate between outsourcing and insourcing, but there are times when it's clearly uh, obvious uh, which is more advantageous. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Any other person from the team? Um, okay. Uh, I, I, I think from, from my, my side, uh, there are things which are, are very, very important. For instance, if we talk about localization, that is there in the object of, 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 of the bill, but it's going to be uh, 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 going to be contained in the regulations. I think the serious misalignment. I think that object, that object, it's so it's so critical. We should be in a position where we uh, some of these things should be contained in the principal legislation, so that uh, it, it it doesn't become a a, 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 a sub legislation uh, contained in the regulation. I I I thought I need I need to make that, and uh, <clears throat> I'm making the, some of these things. Uh, so that the secretariat, I really want the secretariat to capture these things, uh, <clears throat> the issues, even if they have never been attended to, uh, please capture them because these are the things that are, uh, are going to guide us as we interact with national treasure. Um, <clears throat> so there should be an align a, a lot of alignment between the objects of the legislation. And then you have got a legislation, but uh, those things are not in the legislation. Um, uh, I, I think there's, there's, there's definitely a, a problem as far as that is concerned, right? So I, I wanted to, but one thing you are, you are not answering me on, uh, on uh, uh, colleagues, I said from your experience, if the government were not going to go through tender, how else can it buy goods and services? Please take a bite on that. And how else do governments perform this function? Who, who wants to try? Dr. Nelia? Um, <laughs> I'll try, but it's just my own perception. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the tendering process, um, Honorable Butlese, is actually so fixed in government, and that is the way even the international experience has indicated, which um, Sepitelu indicated, is that they've also, they do it through the tender system, but over time they also experience a lot of um, problems and corruption and they've improved it over time. So, um, I, I don't know what other systems there are or mechanisms, um, especially for the bigger tenders. Um, how to basic, basically procure in a in an honest manner or in a regulated manner, um, because it needs to be regulated and there needs to be norms and standards. So 
in my view, I think it's this is how we should do procurement for government, um, especially to try and get value for money and to um, make sure that we don't um, engage in or or um, make it open government procurement open for corruption. So that's one way of um, of regulating the system is through um, the tender processes. That's just my personal view. Thank you. Any, any other view? Okay. Um, did you go? Okay. No. Um, <clears throat> look, um, I, 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 I deliberately asked this question because at the end of the day, government must buy uh, goods and services. Um, I don't know of any other alternative. Um, the challenge about procurement and tendering is to make sure that the, the process is free and fair, it's transparent to get value for money, and people are able to get the services and so on and so forth. But I don't know of, of any other way that uh, government can buy goods and 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 services. So I think that's 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 that. I've had that call, but I've never had anyone else saying. So if you do with the tendering system, how how do you do it? Um, and there's no other way because you must go out and ask the public uh, to respond uh, to your uh, 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 to your tender. I think uh, what one needs to do now is just to say. Uh, I think the the way forward, one, um, uh, Dr. Nenia, and I can I just request you to send the uh, the the bill the bill in itself. We do have the other documents with us uh, to to Darren and Darren, please share the bill with the honourable members, um, and also uh, the research the research staff support staff in general. Can you also persist with this matter? Look at look at the look at the bill, and look at the presentations by, by PBO. Uh, they started something uh, research, um, and see how you can also uh, enrich or work on from what they have delivered to the to to the committee. This is very very important. I don't know how uh, uh, how can I bold this one and emphasize the one and emphasize it and underline it that it's a very very it's one of the most important legislations that we are faced with so um, it's very important that the the honorable members uh, <clears throat> uh, um, read and read and read again so that you can be in a position to to deal with this um i i think again we the the efficient way of dealing with this one and will not be in this forum where we're just presentations and so on. I think a, a workshop type of a of a, of, of a, an interaction, uh, not only with us, but especially with the with the standing committee on finance, because uh, the bill will be uh, will be presented to them, so that as we 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 we, we both interact with the, uh, with this so. I think the uh, workshop type of workshop mode uh, will serve us uh, best in, 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 in dealing with this. But Darren uh, um, <clears throat> uh, and, and, and support staff, let's let's see how we follow up on, on this one where National Treasury 
uh, should interact with our committee and I, I dare say with, with uh, uh, other finance committees where we interact with this, uh, with, with, with this bill. I think um, what from myself when I, when I read it and listening to, uh, to today's presentation by PBO and the interaction, I think that, 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 that too many gaps that, that too many gaps that must still be uh, attend, attend, attended to. Uh, because for me, at the center of, 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 of the bill should be to ensure that we, we, we get value for money, uh, we do away with uh, 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 the possibilities of malfeasance. We also make this process uh, transparent. It's too, op it's too opaque, it's, 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 it's too opaque. And uh, in fact, I've even, very radical suggestions when it even comes to the uh, to the to the to the tribunal. Um, I, I don't think it's rightly located if it's within other depart within a department uh, which must also um, <clears throat> be looked after or be over uh, be dealt with by the uh, uh, by the central procurement central procurement office. So, but I think that was the first bite for all of us. And I, I, I think it, it, def, it definitely helped us and let's continue engaging with the document. And uh, thank you very much, uh, 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 PPO. Uh, it, the process has been very, very uh, helpful. Yep. Uh, are there any announcements from uh, your side, Darren? No announcement, Chairperson. Honourable members, uh, support staff, the PBO, uh, ladies and gentlemen in the forum, uh, the meeting uh, stands adjourned. Thank you so much. When is the next meeting? Thursday or Tuesday? During? Next week, Tuesday, Chairperson. Thank you so much. Okay, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you, Chair. Thank, Thank you. Chair. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, colleagues. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you, honorable members. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, honorable Sheikh. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Uh, it was a good session. I yeah, yeah. But you can see a lot uh, of work. We have a clearer picture of what is happening. Plenty of work yeah. to be done. Plenty. Uh, the issue that the major concern hmm? for me is Come that Section 36 and Come regularizing, giving them the opportunity to buy stuff on an yeah. emergency. That we need to close the gap on that a bit as well. But anyway. Okay, thank you. The only pro, the only downside of this all, share the chair, the, the political party is going to have a big problem. I don't know where they're going to get funding. 